0: Homily for the 14th Sunday in Ordinary Time, St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks, July 8, 2018. Saddle up, boys, we're going to Nazareth. Imagine being one of the Lord's disciples, hearing him announce this plan. The return of Jesus to his hometown, the place that nurtured and sheltered him for so many years, was supposed to have a triumphant, if not at least celebratory feel. By this time, most of the people of Nazareth would have heard stories about the wondrous things Jesus had been saying and doing in other places. These reports should have only added to the fanfare. But life does not always unfold as we expect. Where is the ticker tape parade down Main Street? Where are the rousing choruses of For He's a Jolly Good Fellow? Where is the mayor presenting a key to the city? We see and hear none of that in today's Gospel reading. What we have here is one of the most perplexing accounts in all of Scripture, a reception of the Lord Jesus that ranges from lukewarm to even hostile. We feel that it wasn't supposed to unfold this way. One might have expected St. Mark to leave out this story about Nazareth, and to gloss over this instance when people familiar with Jesus from his childhood rejected him. While that would spare us a little bit of discouragement, doing that would have deprived us of the greater message, the moral of the story, if you will. No, this passage opens up to us a mystery. Why did the Father permit this to happen to his beloved Son? Why would he tolerate what appears to be a failure? What is the meaning of the word success in the context of Jesus' ministry? The reason why Jesus returned to Nazareth carries a tone of sadness is that we think he deserved better treatment than he received. After all, we're talking about none other than the Son of God. Time after time, we hear of Jesus healing people from illness or disabilities that seemed incurable. Time after time, large crowds assemble to listen to what Jesus has to say, and because he touches the depths of their hearts, they plead with him to stay. But the reception that the people of Nazareth gave him is quite different. Their questions had nothing to do with the content of the good news, as would later happen in his face-offs with the Pharisees and Sadducees. Rather, they questioned the authority Jesus employed. Where did he get all this? We've known Mary and Joseph their whole lives. Who does he think he is? Jesus knew exactly who he was, and he would not change his stripes for those of his hometown or any other town. What is success for Jesus? Is it immediate, tangible results? Is it instant euphoria? Later this summer, we will hear about Jesus' multiplication of the loaves and fishes, In John's Gospel, some in the crowd, having seen the miracle and having been fed, spontaneously hatch a plot to carry the Lord away and proclaim him king, but he avoids this and slips away to pray in solitude. In that same chapter, when teaching the people of Capernaum about the gift of his precious body and blood in the Eucharist, many of the listeners walk away and refuse to believe in him. Instead of frantically chasing after them to repair the damage, he turns to his disciples and asks them if they want to stay or go. He tells them that they have to make their choice too. What is success for Jesus? It has a whole lot more to do with faithfulness than any external criteria. Jesus desires nothing more than to carry out the will of his Father at all times. And this is what his example taught us. Remember his instructions upon sending out the disciples two by two to surrounding villages. What if the townspeople of a certain place decided not to openly receive them? Did Jesus give them a plan B that involved reworking their mission statement? And even if he had, would that alone guarantee a complete change of heart on the part of the recipients? What Jesus told them to do was to shake the dust of the city streets off their feet in testimony against them and move on to the next place. Jesus instructed them to be who they were, simple and transparent. In humility, they were to pray for conversion of heart, but they were not to compromise sacred truths in order to win anyone's approval. Jesus had no interest in conquest or in obliterating opponents. When those of his hometown protested his appearance there, he simply remarked that a prophet is not accepted in his native place, and he helped those who responded to him in faith however he could. In his meekness, the Lord does not conquer in the sense of overpowering anyone. The real battle he wages is for the human heart, and only loving words and selfless deeds can fight that kind of battle. What happened to Jesus during his return to Nazareth reminds us of the travails of many of the prophets during Old Testament times. Hard of face and obstinate of heart, this nation is a rebellious house. Ezekiel met this rebellion head-on in his own time, similar to the pushback Jesus found in his very hometown. A commentary I once read put it this way. Imagine seeing the following help wanted ad, on a website or in a newspaper requires spending endless hours with people who dislike dismiss or reject you completely must be able to defend a product that few want and many hate no vacations few apparent benefits poor pay and chances of bodily harm torture and death very high which of us would rush to take up that offer and yet such was the fate of many a prophet. Consider the experience of the prophet Ezekiel. In the chapter previous to what we heard today, Ezekiel saw a vision of the grandeur and immensity of God. Overwhelmed, he fell forward, lying prostrate on the ground in reverence and fear. In today's reading, God bids him to stand up and set out on his way. Although those to whom he is sent may not receive him well, God's work must not go undone. Lastly, we need to mention what St. Paul shared in the second reading. In this remarkable passage, he refers to a form of suffering he endured in order to keep him from being too elated over the abundant revelations he was receiving from God. What exactly this thorn in the flesh was is difficult to say. Very many scripture scholars have contributed their own opinions, but that's all they are opinions. In his modesty, Paul only shared the suffering, and not the specific nature thereof. Understandably, Paul asked the Lord to remove this thorn, seeing it as an obstacle to doing God's work as well as possible. But God refused to do so. My grace is sufficient for you, God tells him, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We can learn a great deal about the struggle for holiness in these words. They remind us on the one hand of the need to ask the Lord to help us when we experience difficulties, and at the same time to be full of trust and to abandon ourselves to God, who knows what is best for us. Saint Jerome once said that the Lord is good because he often does not give us what we desire in order later on to give us something we would prefer. Also, Paul's experience encourages us to rejoice in the knowledge of our weakness so as to acquire the strength of Jesus. This way, with humility of heart, we will not give in to a lack of confidence as the devil wants us to do and fall into more serious sins. Ironically, rebellion limits our freedom instead of increasing it. Only the rebellious heart picks and chooses what parts of the gospel to accept, because that's the easy work of slavery. In such cases, our pursuit of every little pleasure and fear of every sacrifice leads us by the nose. Only the freedom which comes from God's grace can release us from the slave master of rebellion. Only then are we able to travel the hard road to fight the good fight and gain an everlasting crown. Jesus shows us today how sad it is that even the greatest gifts can be rendered virtually powerless when people choose not to welcome, acknowledge, and accept them with faith. How alarming it is to think that human disbelief could thwart the saving plan of God. Today's readings urge us to avoid the errors of the people of Nazareth by making a home for Christ in our hearts and resolving never to drive him away. Amen.